Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. Welcome to episode 84. So today, right off the bat, um, I want to give a shout out. It's my son's 12th birthday today. Happy birthday, bud. So happy birthday to, to Braden. I uh, just wanted to kick it off with that. Today for episode 84, we have LT Weaver on here. Yes. How you doing? With Recovering Addict. That's me. And we're going to get to him. We're going to get to his story and, and uh, the, the cool stuff that his nonprofit organization is doing a little bit later on in the episode. First of all, though, like before we get into all that, I want to give like some shout outs. Um, first of all, to Steps Recovery Center. Episode 84, part one is brought to us by Steps Recovery Centers, where they are ready to help you or a loved one get help as soon as you're ready to reach out. Reach out by giving them a call at 801-800-8142, or you can go to their website at stepsrc.com. You can live chat with one of their intake coordinators. Again, they're ready to help you or a loved one get help. Just reach out to them. So the other thing I wanted to, to jump into is... Man, we've been getting some downloads like all across the the world, and I just wanted to give some shout out to some of these places. Uh oh, hang on, it's telling me it kicked me out. You got them pulled up, Denovan? Yeah, but you logged in, which then kicked me out. Oh man, you can't both be logged into the same website okay. at the same time. Okay, here so we go. So whatever you wanted to say, it's all you. All right, I got it. I got it. So in the the leading in as far as downloads. Uh, for this podcast, the United States is in the lead. Nice. Um, followed shortly there by Canada, France, United Kingdom, Mexico. Those are our top international uh, countries. When we break that down in the U.S., Utah. Shout out to Utah, man. Yeah. Representing Utah. We got the most downloads here in Utah, followed by California. People in California that are giving us some love, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for downloading these episodes. We appreciate it. Nevada, Colorado, and Michigan. So that's our top five. And then we actually have some in Canada. Ontario. Shout out to Ontario. They're our number one downloads for Canada. Now, how'd you say that? Ontario. Okay. Am I saying it wrong? Yeah, it sounded weird. Manitoba is the next one. Yeah, you got that one right. <laughs> Alberto and then British Columbia. Alberto? Alberto. Alberta. Alberta. Thank there's you, Sean. There's an A at the end. You're editing me like Sellers was last week. Just let me read stuff incorrectly, guys. <laughs> like last week. Yep. Get together. I stink week. There you go. And then we got uh, Australia, uh, Victoria, uh, Queensland, South Australia. Just again, just uh, my heart's full. Like this is crazy. We started this thing two years ago, and and we got a bunch of responses. So thank you guys so much. Shout out to all the other states that that we have downloads in. If I didn't get you, I'm sorry. So we always start off with what we call new and goods, LT. You ready? Okay, yeah. wait, so my, my little button doesn't work. Okay. So, but I need you to say new and good on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. New and good. There you go. <laughs> Dude, Very cool. That's awesome. I, I got a new mixer, so it has some cool stuff. LT, can you say new and good for me on one, two, three? New and good. <laughs> there you go. So, Sweet. So let's new. let's get it. What is new and good in your world? Oh, man. I, just as you were reading all those countries and states, what what it brings to mind is there's people out there, and addiction is the same across the whole world. You know what I mean? Absolutely. People are searching and looking. It doesn't matter if you're in Russia drinking vodka. It doesn't matter if you're down in Mexico drinking tequila. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? It, it just does the same thing to people all over the world. Uh, in my life, doing good is just life in general, learning that every day is a challenge and a journey and enjoying the moment and the process of every day, not looking in the past, not looking in the future, just this new mindset, this new growth and recovery for me it just has leveled me up. I guess you could just say. being present, just being enjoying present. being present. Yeah. I love it, bro. There's a book, um, called, uh, Oh man, Eckhart Tolle, mm -hmm. the power of now. Yeah. And it talks about that. It talks about like being present and yeah. I love Eckhart Tolle's books. He's he, yeah. So anyways, love that, man. Yeah, me too. And new and good, you're down here in sunny St. George? Sunny. I saw St. your George. go live this morning. Yeah. Terrible, fun. terrible no. internet. <laughs> <laughs> Every hotel ever. And then they're like, hey, four bucks, we'll give you some fast internet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm spoiled, charge, home, bro. I'm spoiled at home with super, you know, 
fiber and it's, it's a little hotter down here than you're used to. Way hotter. I'm chubby and hairy. <laughs> oh, I'm made for the cold weather. So. Bro, we, we could be brothers. I'm chubby and hairy too. That's yeah. rad. We ought to do a podcast together just called the Chubby, chubby Hairy Hair. Dudes in Recovery. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Denneman, what's new and good in your world? I'm not sure if I want to follow that. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I, was in, I was in West Yellowstone last weekend and left before the rains and the flood came. Nice. You know about the floods, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's a huge thing on the news right now. So, How can then, you not know about the floods? Yes. And then the week, actually, I was talking to somebody today. They had no idea. Really? I, I had to pull up Google and say, hey, look, this is, yeah, it's all underwater. It's SeaWorld now. I did not know that. I'm one of those people. You didn't? No. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like a, a once in a thousand year flood that's taken place. They've like shut down all of Yellowstone. You cannot go in. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Buildings being uh, uh, flooded and, and like going into the o- in, into the ocean. Can you pull up into some pictures? Yeah, I can, but it'll take a minute. Oh. So no. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, bridges washed out, roads washed out. Really? Yeah. It's crazy, man. Sea life being inundated. News to me. Yeah. So they're going to be putting SeaWorld up there. There you go. The new SeaWorld. <laughs> I, I like it. Shamu. Well, listen, we're sitting in the studio, dude. We're rocking some pretty cool swag. My guy, LT, dude. Thank you for bringing me. I love it when guests come on. I love it especially when guests guests bring me gifts. Yeah. So we're rocking the recovering addict hat. We got the shirt going on. We look like brothers. We really do look like brothers. Yeah, dude. We're twinners today. Sick beards. Yeah. Dope beards, (laughs) right? Two dudes enjoying life and recovery. Yeah. So talk to me, LT. You've come on here. Obviously, you're a person in long-term recovery. Yep. Okay. Yes, sir. Oh, man. Where so, do I so start? talk to me a little bit about that. Like, again, we don't want, we want to give enough time that we can talk about your organization, Recovering Addict Nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of when did the problem start for you? When did you realize that you were an addict or an alcoholic? What was going on in your life? Should we just start there? Whew, man, that's a long time ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to rewind the clock. For sure. Because it all, you know, especially when you start getting into long-term recovery, you realize how far back in the process you got jacked up. And mine goes all Hopefully the way back do, to childhood. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so mine goes all the way back to childhood, just like normal, nothing out of the ordinary. Just the, the typical family these days, divorce when my parents were, when I was seven, you know, the divorce thing. My dad, he was an addict and he could never hold a job, never, just this constant chaos. We never knew where we were going to be. And by the time I was 13, I ended up in Michigan. A lot of instability, a lot of. Super. We're living with yeah. grandma and the fights. Load up the car. We're, you know, just you never knew day to day what was gonna what was gonna go on. So it was that, kind of it was kind of a world of chaos for you. It was super normal. chaos. Okay, and so I grew up in that. We ended up in Michigan, and as you introduced me, my name's LT, right? Yeah, that's my name, Leonard Ted, and that nickname started when I was a baby. So it's always just kind of been my name. Uh, when my dad moved me to Michigan, he held me back a grade and changed my name to Ted. So that's how I introduced. So in Michigan, if you if you knew me. I went by Ted. For our Michigan listeners, we got Ted on the show today. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't. I still got a bad <laughs> rep up there. <laughs> but it started up there. I kind of like, that was the moment that just kind of clicked. And I was like, you know what? And I just checked out. Okay. I started doing anything. Around what age is this? Uh, 13. Okay. You know, smoking cigarettes, trying any drug I could get my hand on. That's scary, bro. That's scary to think. Like, my, my little boy turns 12 today. Yeah. And at 13, you were smoking cigarettes and drinking? Oh, yeah. And weed. Wow. At least, you know, and it's not like it was regular. I was 13, you know, how hard it is to get. Sure, But But when you could get it, you would do it. I would do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I wouldn't, it wasn't like I was waiting for it to come around. I would look for it. I was actively looking for the bigger brothers and stuff or parties. It's just wild to think like, you know, that's such a young age when you think about that. 13 years old. Yeah. My daughter, she's 11 now, you know. Right? Like, it's just not. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. And so right then, that's when it started and I... It was funny because I've always told people, I moved out when I was 15. I moved out when I was 15. And I had a, a supervisor like a few years ago going, you didn't run it. You didn't move out. You ran away. You were 15. Right. <laughs> I was right. like, oh, I did, huh? Good point. So basically, I ran away at 15, dropped out of high school, didn't get make it through 10th grade. And all I did was chaos, just party after party. Just, you know, just whatever was wild is where I was going. Burning bridges, being the craziest. I was the influencer of the group, too, to make it, like, scarier or more extreme. You so know? you were the guy bringing the party. Yeah. You had to be, like, the alpha at the party. Uh, yes. Okay. Of, okay, who's going to jump off of that? LT. Yeah. LT's jumping off of that. And I, 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 and then I look back, and I'm like, oh, I just wanted attention. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Um, and maybe so, some validation, maybe some connection somehow. All that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Even um, though, you know, it's funny because when you think about, sorry, I always no, think of good. things on like from a counselor perspective, when you work with youth, 
a lot of their maladaptive behaviors come from that though. Yep. Like they just want to be validated. They just want somebody to pay attention to them. They just want somebody to acknowledge their existence. That's exactly what I was doing. Okay. hundred percent. And so by the time I'm 17, I'm, I'm doing crank acid, you know, anything I can get my hands on that quick. It, it developed that fast. Oh yeah. Just doing it. And I ended up in jail a couple of times. But what I got caught for was petty, like super petty theft. But you should have seen me at 17, right? I'm 43 now. I just turned 43 yesterday, FYI. So me and your son, got we share close birthdays. Um, I got caught with, like, carpet cleaner. Okay. And just something I was trying to get out. I lied to get into this apartment. I was trying to get my deposit back. And so I got caught stealing, like, stupid carpet cleaner. Cleaning products. Yeah, cleaning products. And when I was 17, <laughs> I looked like, like I was 12. And so I'm in this jail in Michigan and at 17, just scared oh. out of my mind two times, ended up on probation. And then my brother from Utah called me and he's, he's nine years older than I am. He's like, get your butt back home now. And so home meaning Utah, home meaning Utah. Okay. Yeah. Cause Michigan, my dad just on one of his chaos journeys, right? Mm-hmm. Marries this lady and boop, we end up in Michigan. I have a German step family now, like Straight German. All of a sudden, we're around the dinner table, and it's like Germans being spoken, and crazy. Me and my sister are just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like that was a pretty impulsive decision from your dad, just yeah. up and move to Michigan. Yeah, that gives you a little insight of maybe what home life was like for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, w- is it fair to say that when you started um, drinking and smoking, that you were, I don't know, were you like escaping from something? Were you trying to? Was it a social anxiety lubricant, like? I always, it, it, and I guess this is more of a me thing. I always find it fascinating. Like, what was your why? I loved it. Okay. I loved getting wasted. So was it just was it the, just the escape, or was it just the feeling? Like, what really grasped for you? Just being gone. I guess it was an escape into the mundane, or realizing when I would when I was at that age. I remember being like seventeen, wrecked my car, homeless had nowhere to turn right before my brother called me, you know? Um, and I remember thinking about my dad and I'm looking in my mind at my dad and I'm thinking I'm 17. And if I die at 80 years old, oh my God, that is a long time to live this loser life. And I'm going to be just like that guy. Pretty good insight at 17, dude. Yeah. And so that was just weighing me down. And so I think getting high escaped that for the moment, but I always came back, you know, but I think it was a, a part, partly escaping of, who I didn't want to realize or thinking that I was going to be just like him Mm -hmm. and not wanting to be nothing like him. And then the other was, I really, I liked it. You know, I, I liked getting messed up. There's a reason why people will continue to do it. That's for sure. Right. Cool. So 17 brother gives you a phone call. Hey, get your butt back to Utah. Talk to me about there. Let's pick up right there. Nothing changed. Well, of course, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. I came, I came (laughs) in, I moved in with him. And my brother's a big drinker. All the stuff I learned, like what I wanted to do, I was watching him and my cousins mm-hmm. who are all, you know, nine to 15 years older than me. And so that that even plays down even into my five, six, seven, eight-year-old age, watching my older cousins and what they do. Um, sure. They were modeling that behavior. Yeah. When you were the... Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so I come back and, and I pick up right where I left off from Michigan, looking for the parties. And that was it. I didn't care about holding a job. All my buddies, like my buddy Stevie, he went to college and... My other buddy was in college, you know, they're going to Weaver State and I'm just, I'm doing sheet metal, you know, Uh, and, and I'm, and I'm barely doing it at that. And it's showing up at that age. It's like what you do or what you're becoming is so important, right? Like, man, I feel like the, the young teens, early twenties have such pressure on what you're going to do for the rest of your life. It does. And then on top of that, you still feel like you're a little kid inside, but yet you're turning into a man and you're in this weird transition. Yeah. And, and let's face it, like working, doing sheet metal isn't always the most glamorous, fun job. And then you got these older guys that are jerks, you know. Right. You know, you know, the whole little construction crowd. Oh, yeah, that's a rough crowd, man. It can be. It can be. It can be a rough crowd. So sheet metal, iron work, painting from 19 to 23. And during the whole time, I'm just trying to find the parties. And that's it. I mean, still using um, anything I can get my hand on, acid, Anything you, you put it in front of me, I'm going to use it unless it was like a needle or heroin. Cause I never, I tried it once and I saw some opiate users and I was like, that's boring. Like mm. they're just sitting around doing nothing. I liked being on the go, just flying fast, fast as I could go. Got you. So your, your DOC is more uppers. Oh yeah. Big time. Okay. 
or alcohol later in life, I come to find out. <laughs> okay. So by the time I hit, uh, but different strokes for different folks, right? Like yeah. a back to the original question of why do you feel like you started to develop a, an addiction? Like for me, it was an escape. And so opiates for me, like, sure. From the, out, from the outside looking in, people were probably looking at me going, dude, like you just said, that's boring. All you're doing mm -hmm. is sitting there nodding out. But for me, it was like, I was numb. Yeah. I was, it, I was in a different reality in my mind than I had to live in yeah. in the day. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, it's crazy that it's the same different type things of, for different people. Right. Yeah. And the escapes no really no different Sure, on the, on the fast side of things. Sure. You know, cause you're not, you, you don't sit around to be able to think about it. Yeah. yeah like, exactly. What chaos is coming next. So we got LT moved back to Utah. He's running, running and gunning, doing all these uppers. I'm back to LT too. I'm not Ted no more. Man, so your identity's kind of shifted through this whole <laughs> yeah. thing too. And there's some funny YouTube videos that I've made where I have my split personalities. Okay. Ted is my addict. <laughs> okay. And then Leonard is my old timer from AA that keeps me on track. Got you. And I'm I love stuck it. In the middle. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. So I come back to Utah. My brother tries getting me jobs and teaching me, you know, filling the dad role, really. You know, teach me how to work on trucks. Bought me a 1971 Ford, three on the tree, and we worked on it. You know, a lot of great lessons, and I love my brother for all that stuff, you know. But me, I was still just wild partying, going to sand dunes, trying to ride motorcycles, playing drums in a band, <clears throat> doing that life, right? Yeah, yeah. From 19 to 20. Thrill-seeking, pleasure-seeking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and jobs-jumping. Because I couldn't hold one. You know, I'd show up all methed out or hungover or just, you know, the usual, oh, I can't make it today for yeah. whatever reason. So I went from like sheet metal to uh, painting. And I ended up in Vegas um, doing high rise buildings. Okay. <clears throat> like steel Structural works. steel. Yeah. yeah structural yeah. steel. Worked there. Met a girl. Quit that job. Ended up on a dude ranch riding horses. <laughs> just. Whatever. I didn't say no. You know, I was just like, sure, bro, go that way. Okay. And it was just as this life. Right. And then I come back to Utah about 22 ish. Um, and I start selling Kirby's and okay. I found out I'm really good at it. I was like number four in the nation for a few months and I was selling like 30 a month and making all this money. And then that's where the my, vacuums, yeah. Kirby vacuums door okay. to door. Yeah. Okay. I was rocking it. It was fun. And I had, I learned a lot. That was another awesome lesson in life. Like I, I, I look back now and I don't regret well, dude, you got Much. great energy. I could see that you'd be a good salesperson because, yeah. like, you have some you have some good energy about yeah, you. You it know, was fun. so well. And if you're doing a bunch of uppers, you don't run out of energy to to yeah. go knock door to door, and you're a little bit more brave, so that you oh, don't yeah. even care if you get declined, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. But then the meth—that's when I really started. Instead of just being at parties, drinking and puking, drinking and fighting, drinking and whatever, or you know, whatever drug came across the table, and then let it cool off for the week. Meth was introduced, and then that's when the, a habit started. Mm. All the other drugs tapered off. I didn't smoke weed. I didn't drink. It was meth and meth only from, like, 22 to 23. So you kind of went from being a recreational user or when it was available to a daily user with the methamphetamine. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like, every second I could get my hands on it. Yeah. Just you criminal, you know. And that's where meth took me. Within a year. What age are you around this? Uh, 22. Okay. So 22, I'm a full-time meth addict criminal. <laughs> I've switched jobs again. They usually go hand in hand. <laughs> yeah. Don't, not always, but usually. Yeah. And I end up getting caught for a, a second-degree felony, right? We, we burglarized our neighbor's house, one of my buddy's neighbor's house, who was out of town, just looking for stuff to sell. And it, But it's a crazy story, too, because at that same time, I had gotten put in jail and I had sweet talked my way, silver tongue talked my way out of jail with a check, but it wasn't my check. It was my buddy's check mm. who was off in the army. Like that's bad. That, yeah. that tells you where I was, right? Willing and to do anything not to face the consequences. Exactly. Yeah. And so I silver tongue double my way out of jail. That the uh, Bell's bondsman, he's looking for me now. He's like, we don't take checks. And the fact that this guy took it and you did that, I'm taking this personally. Yeah. And sure. then... I finally get caught by the cops for this other felony. And so I end up going to jail for like a year. And that's what scared me straight off of meth. Where I, I, I think I was probably one week away from using needles at that point because that's who I was hanging out with. That's the darkness I was in. That's eventually where the road was going to lead. It was already people were like, dude, just shoot it up and you're wasting it. It's like, yeah. so much better. And that, All and the great advice we get from other <laughs> addicts, right? Exactly. Terrible. I was like the last smoker in the room, sniffer, eater, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah. 
And so 23 to 24, I'm in jail. Spent birthday, Christmas, all the whole thing. Get out, four months in a halfway house. And like I said, my life, I was scared straight. Uh, Did my probation, got out, got a job. And then, boom, you see this upward trajectory of responsibility in my life. Well, it's crazy, bro, because we have such similar stories. You know, I didn't go to some fancy rehab in Malibu. Right. Like I went to a a Medicaid uh, court-ordered, you know, jail program where I I was basically sentenced to 365 days in the Davis County Jail early release upon completion of the MRC program. Mm. And so when you say I was scared straight, I get it, man, because like I had done, you know, I'd booking releases, arrest and call the wife to bail you out, call the mom to bail you out, right? I'd never spent significant time incarcerated. Yeah. And the one thing that I took away from that time being incarcerated and when I actually ended up going to treatment, starting treatment six months after doing six months of jail, jail time, was I don't want this for the, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Not just the drugging, but just the mentality I was around even. Yeah. Yeah. Like you remember, bro, like you're, people are walking around and they're coming up to you and they're asking, Hey man, I got pulled over and he did an illegal search. And what do you think, man? I'd be like, bro, I'm not an attorney. I'm here in jail with you. You know, like just, and it's hard to have like constructive, meaningful conversations with people when you're incarcerated. I was in the halfway house. That reminds me. And one of my just like breaking points, one of those types of conversations is guys walking up and down the one of the blocks, right? And he's like, hey, candy bar, 50 cent, candy bar, 50 cent. That's my hustle dog, my wife, my, my girl gets them with their food stamps and I can bring them in here and sell them for 50 cents. And I was like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't be around this mentality. No more. Well, good for that guy for hustling. Yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, you know. Um, luckily, I, I feel like for the both of us, as much as we give criminalizing substance abuse a bad rap, I feel like it can... In the right person, it can be very productive. True. Yeah. Mm. Which I'm not advocating that, you know, we just throw people in jail for long periods of time. But I also got to respect my story, and it sounds like your story, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it worked as so, far as we go. So talking about this, we got about three minutes left in this first part. Talk to me about this upward proje- upward trajectory. Upward trajectory. So I get out of the halfway house. I start doing good. I start, because I'm a hard worker. I'm not dumb. Four Come, months in a halfway house is tough, too. Yeah. Zero write-ups. Which was a huge accomplishment. Nice. Yeah. So I get out, figure out I'm not like my dad. I'm smart. Holy crap. I can actually do things. So I start working for my buddy who's doing stucco. And I basically become his main guy, like running his company while he's doing other things. And that lasts for a while. And then 2008 hits and I do whatever I got to do. And then in 2010, I end up with a secret clearance working for the United States Air Force after all of that. That's wild, bro. Things were going. I bet you never thought like in your ripping and running days no that you'd end up working on the most clearance. advanced weapon system on the face of the planet and i'm in it digging in it you know <laughs> with secrets like what that's cool this dude. guy can be trusted with that now so so is that once you went to jail is that really that was your rock bottom at that point in my life okay so yep. i feel like there's a relapse coming up in the story oh huge and then you'll see my first tattoo says sleepy that yeah. was in jail i was so dope sick from meth that I, th- I think it was probably three weeks to a month that I would grab a cookie, hop back in my bed, grab a cookie, hop back That's in my it. bunk. That was it. I had, you know, I had this white dude. It was, I was like, hey, bro, get up. You need to go eat. You need right, to go eat. Right. You know, he took kind of took care of me. And then after, I don't. it seemed like a month. It may have only been two weeks, but um, there was one point they're shaking me. Hey, Sleepy, you need to go take a shower. Sleepy, Sleepy. So then <laughs> that little chunk of time in that pod, that was my nickname. And so somebody smuggled in some tattoo tools, and I'm like, put Sleepy right here, man. That'd be cool. <laughs> All <laughs> so, the wise decisions we made. Yeah. Uh, maybe I got scared straight from not doing drugs, but I still wasn't making great decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's cool, though. Like, so it sounds like coming up in your story, we're going to, you got medical clearance to work on Hill Air Force Base. Se- security clearance. Security clearance. Yeah. To, to work up on Hill Air Force Base. Yeah. That's pretty sweet, man. So, but you said in 2008, you did whatever you had to do. What does that mean? So 2008, you know, the economy crashed, right? Oh, Housing yeah. market shut down. Um, I wasn't educated, still doesn't have, don't have a diploma, no high school, GED, nothing. I have nothing. I do no construction, schooling. Yeah. no schooling, no nothing. I think the most I ever got was my CDL and class B at that. And so I'm driving uh, and delivering stucco material for a company. I'm driving bus up at Powder Mountain Snow Resort, 
I'm just doing whatever I got to do to survive. Okay. Okay. It, I got you. Just kind of the early jobs that you take, whatever yeah. you can get that comes your way. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Surviving. And then in 2010, my mother-in-law now calls and says, go get your GED. We're going to get back to that story uh, in episode 84, part two, after this 30-second word from our sponsors, Steps Recovery Centers. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery. And once you become of the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times. And it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. All right, all right. Welcome back to part two of episode 84. We got LT Weaver uh, on here with us today. He is a guy that has an organization called Recovering Addict, which is a nonprofit organization. Um, We're going to get back to his story and and learn a little bit more about his organization. Before that, though, episode 84, part two, is brought to us by the Hilton Garden Inn. It is always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn. If you or a loved one want to go on vacation, come down to sunny St. George, hit up the good old Zion National Park, just check out the Hilton Garden Inn in St. George, Utah. Give them a Google search. Does it have to be a loved one? I mean, Can it be like a convenient one? <laughs> I mean, whatever, whatever you, whatever you An want. Available Sean. one. Are you trying to say that you don't want to bring your wife? I didn't say anything. I'm just, some, you know, I'm just looking out for the other guy. No, that's what you said. I'm going to tell her, dude. You're, you're going to be in the doghouse. Hold on, let me get her on the phone. I'll ask her. I'll ask her live on the air. She just says. That's where I'm staying right now. That place is nice, right? Comfortable. Yeah, it's love pretty cool. It. I heard you talk about you hit up the pool. They got a oh, really yeah. nice pool. Twice right? now. Yeah. The thing I love too about the hill and where they're located is quick access to the freeway. Mm -hmm. Boom. You're on. You can go north. You can go south. Yep. I even got my workout in last night because they're a little fitness center. And then I swam laps. My God, (laughs) dude. That's what I'm talking about. They do have a nice little... I forgot about their fitness center. They do have a pretty nice little setup, don't they? yeah. You got a decent workout in? Way good. Oh, yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Cool, man. My shoulders real good. I mean, they don't have the fastest Wi-Fi, according to (laughs) LT, but... (laughs) All right. Well, let's get back into it, man. So, So grandma calls and says... Get your butt back into some my education. Brother. Oh, oh no, sorry, no, no, you're right. My mother-in-law. Mother-in-law. My wife's mom. So I'm so on my... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. We, there's whoa. a little stuff we missed. When did you get married, bro? So That's, that might be a big part in your story. Again, I should say. Again. When did I get married again? So I was married for like four months. It doesn't even count. Oh, uh, that was like <laughs> a warm-up. Yeah, it was a warm-up. Okay, okay. She showed up. She came home pregnant, and I was like, that's not my kid. <laughs> and it wasn't. Wow. We weren't in the same color. But... True story. But I raised the kid. Uh, like For four months? Awesome story. No. That's a huge story. So I met okay. her. We don't got to go there. Okay. If it's not recovery related. <laughs> like, okay. It's All chaos right. and mentality because though the drugs were gone, the bad decisions and the and the habitual thinking were still there. Yeah. You know, and, and when I look back, there's just more proof yeah. oh, that I needed sure. recovery because I didn't actually get into recovery. My why was wrong. I was scared straight. Though I was, uh, though I had some talents and some and some motivation to do things, right? Yeah, but you were still you. You had to figure out a different. Exactly. You had to figure out a way to become that caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. Exactly. Yeah, man. Listen, I talked to a lot of my. Uh, so I work as a substance abuse counselor, and a lot of my clients that I talk to, I I tell them, listen, step number one, we admitted we were powerless over our addiction and our lives have become unmanageable. You can overcome the powerlessness and still have your life be very unmanageable. Yeah. Right? Yep. Like, yeah, just because you get clean doesn't mean that you mm-hmm. learn how to adult. Exactly. Yeah. Though, like on the outside, you could say, wow, he's doing good, you know? So anyway, first divorce, then I remarry my wife, who we've been married 15 years now. So she's my biggest supporter, my stronghold. Shout out to her, man. Yeah, shout out to Felice. 
Millie's mom and just, you know, she's, she's an amazing woman. I've seen her. I've seen her on your guys's. So LT does podcasts and he does go lives and, and I've seen her. Yep. I've seen you guys do she a thing together. She seems like she's awesome, man. Yeah. She had to deal with me as an alcoholic. And so she's there to support people who have, have a codependency or a, a co-addiction, right. you know, in a relationship. She's been on that side of it. She that was her reality. She had to heal. Yeah. Okay. So married for the second time. Married for the second time. Her mom calls me, says, go get your GED, fill out this application. I said, yes, ma'am. Did it. 2010, I get hired into the F-22 program as a sheet metal worker. Um, and they sent me to school, trade school, to learn aircraft sheet metal. And as energetic as I am, as one, you know, there's the motivated type. And, I, and I'm a, they call me a high burner, right? Right. Oh, yeah. And I, I just go after it. When I, go, when I start plowing the road, I plow, I'm plowing the road. And type so, A personality. Yeah, yep. exactly. So I, I did you. that on base. And you have that type of personality on base. It's easy to shine because those guys are just milking it up right. there. You know, it's right. government. They're work. paid by the hour, and they know they're paid by the hour. <laughs> right. So yeah. I climbed the ladder quick. Became a WL, which is a wage leader, in the F twenty two program. Redid a bunch of stuff. Made you know, got awards and all kinds of stuff up there. And then in two thousand fifteen, uh, switched over to F thirty fives, which is the newest jet taking over F sixteens and. Um, they were brand new at the time, so we're doing IOC and we're doing all the all that kind of stuff, the trainers and getting everything ready for war, you know. Mm -hmm. Basically, if you have a stock F-150, say the F-35 comes to me, just like if you gave me a stock F-150, I'd, yeah, I'd lift it, put 35s on it, put a light bar. You'd make, make it, it sexy. Yeah. yeah. yeah That's what we did. sexy it up. That's what we did. Okay. And there. And I became, I switched over from the mechanic side over to the paperwork side. I started cl climbing the ladder in middle management. and then Truly thriving. Truly, yeah, 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 like making good money. I feel like, like there's a buck coming along. Yeah, there's. I was, we were both making good money, and my wife's and my wife's working on base as well, and we're both making good money. We got the American dream, right? Yeah, we yeah. can make payments <laughs> on lots of stuff, right? <laughs> you know, I got the motorhome, I got the newest cars, got a ha house on a half acre, I got a giant shop, and we got razors. You know what I mean? We're, oh yeah, we're living that American dream for, for sure. The weekend, holidays, and all that stuff. I start drinking mm. casually. Like now, now listen. When you say you started drinking, did you had you not really acknowledged or started working a program to realize like the concept of powerlessness? Nope. Okay. No clue. All right. No clue about recovery. So you thought that you you didn't really acknowledge that you were an addict or an alcoholic, and you thought that you could just do this part time. Yeah. Well, okay. I didn't drink. So from like 2008 to about 2014. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. Completely abstinent. Of everything. I was on a fitness kick because when we were on base, we were actually paid three hours a week to work out. So cool. So I was going to the gym twice a week on base. And so I, I you know, grew my first set of muscles up there during that time period in the F-22 program. And then I think my sixth, when I turned 34, 35, I threw a birthday. We had a birthday party. We tied it on. I mean, we drank good and it was fun. Got I it. had a blast. And then it And you just thought that you were gonna drink one time and it was gonna be just a fun yeah. time and then it you're just gonna be over it. Yeah, and then we got the new house and the shop, and I'm like, well, I need beer. Like, I can't bring my <laughs> trucks and park it in here. Such and a guy thing, yeah. Right? Like, I gotta drink beer on the weekdays. Gotta have me a beer. Slowly turns into a pint of whiskey on the weekends, mm. a fifth of whiskey on the, and it just gradually just turned into this alcoholism. Like yeah. straight alcoholism. By the time I'm 30, let's see, 2015, yeah. So by the time I'm 36, I'm a full-blown alcoholic. I'm trying to manage it. I only buy What does that look like for you? At that point, because it gets worse, at that point, at 36, I was drinking and maintaining by only drinking a pint a night of whiskey. Bottom shelf whiskey. Pound it, go to bed, re rinse, repeat, you know. Got you. Weekends come around, that's another story. Game on. You know, I don't have to go to work So you'd tomorrow. go even harder then. Oh, yeah. I was drinking fists. You know, until I puke, pass out, blackout, whatever. Man. And whatever party we were going to, meaning when me and my buddies would go up razoring or if we would go camping or the neighbors across the street or whatever, right? That was a reason for me to get to drink. Wasted. Yeah. So slowly alcohol kind of seeped into your life and started taking over, it sounds like. Yes. Big time. 2017. This is the big line in my life. Everybody has a line. Not Maybe not everybody, but a lot of people have a line in their lives where they refer to times like before this and after this sure yeah 2017 we have an accident and i'm already getting like freaking choked up before i even tell it <laughs> that's crazy but anyway my nine-year-old son her older brother seven other kids are in this little utv they go up the street and they come down the utv flips 
popcorns the other kids out, and my nine-year-old goes underneath it and it crushes his head, oh. drags him down the road, cracks his skull from ear to ear. And it's a weird story because I had left work early that day <clears throat> and uh, just cracked my pint. Took a shot, messing on the computer, and I hear something funny. And then my oldest boy, Amos, comes running, and Dad, Dad, they wrecked. And I just, out the house, up, you know, past one house at the bottom of the road. There's the UTV, flipped over, all the other kids just screaming, crying, crawling. I look to my right, one of my nephews, his arm is like in a V, his leg's broken, his bones are sticking out. Man. And he's screaming bloody murder, and there's Link, like choking. Like on his blood, eyes about to pop out, blood coming out of every, and I'm just screaming, like, stay with me, you know? Yeah. So that whole thing led to cops showing up, ambulance ride, helicopter ride to Salt Lake. So they put him on life flight? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. First night was meetings with the doctor, like, if he makes it tonight. Right. Those conversations, know, yeah. This is what you can expect. Next night, if he makes it tonight. To the point of, you know, okay, we have to remove his skull, his brain's swelling, he's in a coma. Get out of here, really? Oh, yeah. They, they took the whole front part of his skull off. Um, <clears throat> his whole head crushed from ear to ear all the way through back to his brain um, and crushed his cheekbone and then broke his jaw mm. and, and, and his collarbone and a couple ribs because the tire landed like right on him, right on him. Um, and they got to a point to where the big doctors, like the doctors you don't see were there because we were like the specialty case. Right. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure that's not like an everyday thing. No. And it was it was horrible. And the families we saw during that time, too. Wow. And so through this time, I called work. My son's just pretty much dead. We're not coming to work until this is taken care of. Ronald McDonald House puts us up. Shout out to Ronald McDonald House. If you give to any organization, that's the place to give. So um, talk to me a little bit about that. Let's take some minutes. I, I'm not familiar with Ronald McDonald House, and let's let our listeners be educated on it as well. So Ronald McDonald House is... A house next to the hospital, giant house, like multiple rooms, like a hotel kind of, but more like a house. Okay. And the middle floor is a large kitchen, huge kitchen, packed fridges full of food. And when you experience something this traumatic and just this jarring immediately, they just put you up in there. They're like, so you can be close to your. Don't worry about anything. Wow. And you're right next to the hospital. So our whole family had a room. That does sound like a great organization to contribute to. A blessing. And guess what I did? Drink. Yeah. I found every liquor store within mm. two-mile radius, three-mile radius of that Ronald McDonald house. Visit the kid at the hospital. Freak out about that. Yeah. Hit the liquor store. Hit Ronald McDonald house. Get drunk. Snot cry. Rinse and repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, right? man, I, it's hard to, it's hard to, like, it's hard to acknowledge that I would be able to do anything different. I mean, that sounds like a super hard time in your life. You know, the selfishness alone, though. What my wife's going through, what my kids are going through. Yeah. And here's me. I get it, man. The selfishness of addiction. Looking back, you can see that. Yeah. But in the moment, like, in the moment, let's be wasn't. honest, in the moment, you're just trying to cope. Yeah. And the best way to cope is... Do what I've been doing. To drink. Yep. Yeah. It's, and it was the it was It's the, the big lie that our brain tells us, right? This yeah. will make everything okay. This will make everything all better. And really, it's just a lie. Yeah. But... In the moment, it's hard not to see that. And the physical addiction and the habit that I'd already built over the last few years. Sure. It'd be worse to go into DTs while you're visiting your son. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me. So he's in the hospital. We don't know if he's going to make it or not still at this point, month or so in. Um, they finally get to lay him down. They put an imp, threw him in an MRI. And this one weekend, <clears throat> the big doc comes in. He says, we got to fix all the fractures in his face. You know, we got to put pins here. We got to move stuff. And. Right. He goes, in order to do that, we need to um, give him a trach and a feeding tube because, you know, we're sure. going to wire his mouth shut. Sure. We're doing all this Reconstructive, stuff. Reconstructive, yeah, facial yeah. and head stuff. Yeah. And he says, but if we do that, we're going to sustain life in this body. And if you choose to do that, you take this home with you. I mean, my wife looked at each other, which, you know, we fell out. Like, it was the heaviest weekend of my life ever, ever. And, um, so we dealt with it that weekend. So was he basically saying that you have the option to either pull not, the plug? Right. He, he said this weekend, think about pulling the plug. Man. And so that was that weekend. Nobody, no parent should ever be given that choice, right? It was part of life, you know. It, it happened. Yeah, but I agree. I, I wouldn't wish that on it's my tough, worst enemy. bro. You talking about it's giving me anxiety. Like, I'm getting heavy chested. Yeah. You know, like, that's a, that's, 
that's tough. And it's hard to talk about still. And this was five years ago. Sure. Um, we come in that Monday. Big Doc shows back up. And he goes up and he grabs Link by the shoulder. And he gives him like a good squeeze. And about a minute or so later, Link goes, just a little, a little shoulder flinch. And he's like, that's a good sign. So he's just trying to get a reaction out of him. Anything. Okay. Anything. Some type of at, response. Yeah, because at this point, he's comatose. Like coma, like gone. Mm-hmm. He's gone. Mm-hmm. Vegetable. And he gives a little twitch, and he's like, that's a good sign. Let's give this boy a chance. And like, whoo, biggest weight of my life ever lifted off my chest at that moment. And after that, it's just the Rocky themes on dun, 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 right. dun, dun. Like, he just starts recovering. If we go, I made him a Facebook page, and literally, like, that's how we got him to sit up. Dun, 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 and then we're Rocky song in it. And then when I had to go back to work, my wife was stayed at the hospital through that whole part, and I'd visit, you know, as much as I could. Um, and he just starts getting better climbing then he's riding his little you know strapped in bike and then right. he's learning to walk and, he, and all of a sudden he's you know i and i'm at home and i built this deck in like three days me and my couple buddies with a big old wheelchair ramp and i had like a place for my wife to be able to sit on the thing in the morning with him because i figured he was going to be in a veg like you know, you right. know yeah you assume the worst the yeah. worst so i built this huge deck 20 by 20 maybe 30 by 30 a huge redwood deck um and the whole time my drinking's getting worse at home I'm, my pint of night is out the window I'm drinking a fifth, dang, up to a fifth a night, trying to make it to work on Mondays, ruining my reputation, gaining weight. And he comes home from the hospital, still has a feeding tube. His mouth's still a little bit wired shut, you know, but he's, he's alive. He's like making product, like beyond doctors, like blowing doctors' minds. Yeah. So my wife's dealing with that and then dealing with me being this like drunk, like alcohol, Alcoholic. like bad, yeah. you know. So I'm drinking a fifth or more. Your wife needs like... An all-inclusive weekend at the Four Seasons Hotel oh, for yeah. all the stuff she went through. Oh, and, and then some, yeah, for <laughs> yeah. sure, bro. And she stuck by my side. Uh, so that that lasts for, shoot, 17, 18, 19, till 2019. You know, I You're drank drinking that heavy for that years. long of a time. Yeah, two years, and the house is falling apart. And mm. I'm remodeling, right, which means I've done demo, and that's about as far as I get. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so we're living in our motor home in the driveway um, I kind of got the bedroom put back together enough to where she could move back in there and like some of the stuff where the kids moved back into their bedrooms, living room, kitchen, still just trash, tore apart. So I'm in the motorhome by myself at this point because she doesn't want nothing to do with me. Oh, yeah. You know, she's just like, stay away from me. And one day I just called my dad. I'm sitting there. It's like a Monday. I can't even remember the exact day. Monday, Tuesday. I got a fifth brand new, another fifth because I just finished one. And, I've, and, I'm, and I'm pounding that one. It's like 10 in the morning. I call my dad, just belligerent. If you don't take me into rehab, I'm going to kill myself. Not like I was going to commit suicide, but right, you're gonna this drink is going yourself to lead to death. To death yeah. For sure. And so he takes me into a detox center. They say, uh, you're a little too drunk to come in here right now. Go sleep it off. And so my dad. You were too drunk to go into a detox facility. Yeah. Yep. She said, go sleep it off. Wow. Yeah. Like that's when you know that it's scary, right? Because yeah. like those places are set up to deal with people who are intoxicated. Yeah. And you were too intoxicated to even, like it was a liability for them to take you in. Yes. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> Holy cow. And so my dad, he's like, well, I'm not taking him home to sleep at all. Yeah. He just, I don't know what he did. He snagged a hotel or something, opened the door, pushed me on and then sat in the corner. Just, you know, shout out to my dad for that. Right. My wife showed up a few hours later, threw some McDonald's down my throat or something, and then I... So they got you through till you were able to get into detail. I got back in there, yeah. And then I spent like three days in the hospital, and this is where everything just... This is where recovery kicked in. This is where I started getting better, like... Better. The Rocky song for you. The Rocky song for me. Yeah. yeah. And so I get out. I don't check myself into an IOP right away. Because I'd been doing a desk job, working in a hangar with no windows, and, you know. You didn't just, go straight to residential? Nope. Really? I built a deck. Huh. I tore down this lady's deck and I built her, a, which became a metaphor for my, like the rest of my life. It's crazy. Okay. I tore down this old rickety deck. You couldn't even stand on it. It was about to fall off the side of this lady's house. And I tore it down. I built her another big one. You know, it's like six feet in the air, like 12 by 12, nice seats. You know, I just yeah. made it beautiful and it just felt good. I was out in the sun. I was working with my hands. I was sober. You know, I just got out of detox. As soon as I put that last nail in, put that last little bit of uh, paint, whatever, on there, mm-hmm. sealer, called Action Recovery, said, hey, I need to check in. So I went to an intense outpatient. Got you. Yeah. I was there for just about six months. 
worked all the way up to step five. And that's, you know, three and a half hours a night, mandatory AA. How many days a week was that? Monday through Friday. Okay. And then mandatory. Three and a half hours a night. Yeah. So it was true. It was a good, good outpatient. Oh, very good. And I luckily had the counselor before he retired, Rick Visser, who he, they call him like the guru, the Yoda, the, yeah, the guy's the counselor of that world, you know, got right you. before he retired. And he's the one that got through my head. How? As a counselor to somebody else, I'm always curious. Because, like, some people will say to me, like, oh, I had the best therapist ever. I had the best counselor ever. And I'm like, what made him the best? He could see through my BS. Okay. You know? And he would call me out. So he he held you accountable. He held me accountable. Yeah. In a way that got through. And obviously the timing was right, too, but. Like, I love this saying, like, my motto is, hate me now, love me later. Yeah. yeah. Me, yep. I have the same motto now as a peer support. Yeah. Okay, cool. Shout out to that dude. What was his name again? Rick Visser. Rick Visser. Listen, if you listen to this, teach me the ways. I want to become <laughs> the Yoda of substance abuse counselors. But, All right. So what did that look like after that? So recovery kicks in 47 days exactly after I my clean date of uh, August or whatever, right? 47 days later is October 5th. I decide I'm not powerless. I can still drink. <laughs> I'm in control now. I just needed a break. I just need a wake-up call. And so I go get a little half a pint of whiskey. Nothing big. Three Listen, shots. Substance. This addiction is a disease that tells us we don't have a disease. Yeah. So I laugh, not because it's funny, but I laugh oh, yeah, because so many people think the same thing. Oh, yeah. 100%. And yeah. so what do I do? I put it in my top shelf because I'm. it's on my terms, oh, right? Yeah. I'm in control. You're a big boy. But all I'm thinking about is that whole stupid thing. So we go out to dinner, we come home, we're ready to watch a movie. I slam three shots, basically, is what it was. And nothing. I wake up with a headache. Obviously, gave my wife extreme anxiety, come to find out later. The kids scared the crap out of them, come to find out later. But I'm sitting in family group therapy. Every Thursday was family group therapy. All of us in the group, families would show Mm -hmm. up. Big room full of just family, right? And uh, Very familiar. And I told on myself, you know, I was like, hey, I drank last night. I wouldn't. I wasn't the hider kind. I didn't hide anything I ever did. I was like, I'm doing it. You don't like it? There's the door, you know? And so we get there, and Whitney, shout out to Whitney, she goes, hey, Fleece, how do you feel about LT's relapse? And I was just like, Mm. you know, cussing a little bit. You're in the hot seat now. I'm in the hot seat now. All family's looking at me. Long story short, Rick looks at me. He goes, look, because I I, I sold everybody uh, that it was a good idea. To prove that I could control it. You know, it was a great idea. Sure. <laughs> and so Rick just, Fleece is talking about why it's a, it was like, I don't know. It doesn't bother me at all. You know, he's doing it for this reason. And Rick just, stop telling me it was a good thing. He goes, look at LT, you, this and this, you check into a detox center, you check into this IOP because you have a drinking problem, right? I'm like, oh yeah. And now you're going to go drink to prove you don't have a drinking problem <laughs> and just click. <laughs> <laughs> Everything right. changed. Now it's, it's, I've sold, you know, like a hundred percent. How long ago was that? That was 47, October 5th, 2019. So how many years you've been in recovery? Almost three years now. So before you were just kind of abstinent, you weren't working a program. Mm-mm. You hadn't acknowledged that you were powerless. Nope. So we got about three minutes left here and I want to get to recovering addict. It sounds like life in recovery today for you is working through your nonprofit. Oh, Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Like, like you basically found a way to give back through like one of the things that keeps me in recovery is doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. Right. I get a lot from it. I am able to hear amazing stories like yours. So talk to me about recovering addict. How does that really help you stay clean? And, and what does that look like? What do you do for the community? So it helps me stay clean because it's a passion. Right. It started off of my passion for videography and photography, which, which you're I, phenomenal at. Thank you. Absolutely. So it's one thing that I haven't been able to master. You know, there's other skills in my life I've tried playing the bass. I'm like, and I learned a complex song. I'm like, well, I could be good at that if I wanted to. Boring, you know? (laughs) And then, but videography and photography, I just can't. It's complex. I can't master it. And so it's just been this awesome thing I've been chasing. So I started a YouTube channel, 2020, called it Recovering Addict. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ten episodes later, I just started making little stupid videos. And then COVID hit, and we decided to go live. And we went live 130 episodes in a row every single night, seven days a week at 8 o'clock on the dot reading AA stuff, reading just for today, read, you know, yeah, and just grew this audience. And because of that perspective change, that line in my life, the before and after the accident, mm-hmm. um, life was short, it's fragile. And I don't have time to be afraid anymore. I don't have a time to worry about 
what are people going to think about me and my decisions? We're all going to be dead in five minutes. You know what we I all mean? could be dead in five minutes, yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, that, that's my thought process. And I'm like, you know what? So we sold the house. We put, we sold all our cars and downgraded. Um, got all our money and threw it and bought into Recovering Attic. Turned it into a nonprofit. Bought a gym. And then that bought me like a year and a half until the nonprofit started growing. Um, and so now at the gym, I'm looking at people who need long-term relapse prevention. Long-term, you know, you've done right because days. like treatment centers are great for the detox portion and the residential portion and the outpatient portion. Mm -hmm. But, right, but that maintenance, staying in recovery, yep. that's really where you guys shine. Yep. Okay. I see that little mountain, you know, like, ah, it's step one, step two, step 12. And then the hill goes back down. You look and you're like, you see the rest of life on life's terms. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. and we're there to help maintain so, that. So we got about a minute left. You do gym, you do workout stuff, maintain, build better habits. In life. If I'm a person in recovery and I'm listening to this, what, what is, what is your nonprofit going to offer me? Uh, a new, a new life changing habit system, community, community and a community yeah. to support you through that for sure. I've been watching digitally and locally if you're in the northern uh, northern Utah area. That's the cool thing about today though, right? Is you do a lot of stuff online, you do a lot Tons. of stuff through like this community that you have where people Yep. So I've been following you. You've been doing the 75 hard thing. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what you challenge a lot of your people to do similar things like that. Yep. So listen, it's been a fantastic podcast. Episode 84 is going down in the books. is a great one. Be sure to go check out LT at Recovering Addict. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, recoveringaddict.org if you want to check us out. Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, you know. The, Thank the you huge. for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.